Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Seth. Thank you for joining us on the Walls of Isengard, where we explore the many works of Tolkien and discuss life. We're glad to have you as part of our fellowship, as there's no telling where we'll be swept off to, obviously, off to a wonderful start here. It's late. We don't do, do podcasts at night very often, so... Uh, a little rusty here. We got Middle Earth Mixer here on the live stream, so but we're going to jump in like we normally do and just do a little, just tiny little babbling like Butterbird just to get us kicked off. So uh, Middle Earth Mixer, Ooh, however you want to... I love that. That's great. <laughs> yeah, there we go. However you want to kind of introduce yourself a little bit, maybe a couple minutes, uh, who you are, what are you doing on the podcast, uh, what, what, what's going on? Sure, yeah, so I guess... It's always weird to start whenever, but anybody, I guess the reason why I love Tolkien and the reason why I got into it was I kind of reached a point in my life where it was after I got married and I really started to think about my life differently and think deeper mm-hmm. about what I love and my passions. And it brought me back to a lot of the things that I loved growing up, you know, and it got me back into Tolkien in a way that. I was more connected because I feel like I had that in my childhood and I kind of lost it. Yeah. And then I grew more attached to it again. And then it kind of supplemented this journey I was on in in my faith and in my walk with God. Um, And, you know, Tolkien in his essay on fairy stories, he talks about like the the smudged window metaphor. Are you guys familiar with it? Mm-hmm. I haven't read on fairy stories yet. It's on my to read list, but you mentioned it in your article. So that's about the extent that I'm familiar with it. So it's basically ends of fairy stories. And it talks about how someone who maybe their faith has become mundane to them, you know, maybe they're just kind of going through the motions that getting attached to fantasy done proper can kind of get them back in touch with the beauty of the truth that we believe in, right? As Christians. And mm. not that God needs that, you know, God doesn't need sure. that. He can get your attention any way he wants. But for me personally, that resonated, you know? So my walk with God and getting more serious about that kind of went hand in hand with my dive back into like fantasy stories and, um, you know, Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, like, really just kind of overdosing on that content over the past couple of years. Um, And then obviously like at the same time I was tweeting about it and my Twitter kind of blew up and I had a bunch of friends who knew that I was obsessed with this stuff and they do one of them in particular, he does podcasts professionally and Hmm. he, we were on a hike one day and he said, Dude, he asked me about the Nazgul and I, we were walking and I spent like probably 20 minutes just explaining it to him on our, on our way up this mountain. Um, and he was like, dude, stop. I would totally listen to you do this for like six hours on a podcast. And I was like, okay, you know, maybe, <laughs> a good compliment. maybe I'll, yeah. maybe I'll take you up on that. So I kind of just started doing it for fun and it really just was like a snowball that continued to grow. And obviously you know, I come out of the political space. I was very much in the professional political conservative circle. So I'm just me when I'm online. I'm me with without using my name, you know, but uh, that's going to spill out because that's just who I am. You know, I have strong opinions about those things. So that's, that's kind of 
where the Twitter yeah. thing comes into it. No, that's that's great. And uh, we'll get into ratioing the journos uh, here in a little bit. Um, but before that, as the young captain of Captain of Gondor, of course, uh, never as yourself, but uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll get into that here in a little bit. Um, but before we do that, let's jump into some what we call riddles in the dark. And uh, just so everyone listening knows what this looks like is this is a fun little game Seth and I like to play on the podcast where we take our three in one Lord of the Rings copy, which we have the same copy Seth and I do. Uh, if you don't have the copy, that's fine. You can like maybe even just like look up a random piece of dialogue online if you want. Um, so what what this is going to look like? So I'll I'll uh, I'll find some dialogue for Seth in my. I'm just going to like randomly flip through, find uh, maybe a sentence or two of dialogue without saying characters' names. He has to try to guess who's talking, what part of the book or three books, um, and the context behind it. And so. I'll find some dialogue for Seth. Seth will find some for you. And then you can find something for me. Like I said, if you don't have a book next to you, um, feel free to just look on something on the web. Uh, the last person we had on, he just stole from Children of Purin and kind of threw a curveball at me. So you can do it that as well. You, you still want. got it. Though. You still got it. It's true. It's true. I, it, I did. Um, just because it was so different than Lord of the Rings. It was like, okay, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is much, much darker. Um, but go listen to our Children of Purin podcast if you want to know why it's darker. Um, but yeah, I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and start it up. I feel like I should go grab a book. Hold on one second. Yeah, you're good. You're good. You're good. Wait, I'll, we'll, we'll look for our, our dialogue here for each other. Yeah, I actually found one I think is pretty solid here. Oh, perfect. I'm going to go children porn because I'm doing the children porn podcast right now. There you go. That's great. Test That'll be, that'll be a hard one. (laughs) All right, Sam. So Uh, let's see what you got. I think this one might get you, Seth. I'm excited. This might be the one to break your streak. This might be the one. (laughs) Uh, I hope not. Let's hear it. Okay. I will come, said Blank. I will come too, said Blank. The matter of the Lady Gladrill lies still between us. I have yet to teach you gentle speech. Oh, come on. You think that was I shouldn't have said the last part. I shouldn't have said the last part. No, 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 no. I know that from the beginning. Like, the matter of the Lady Gladrill. Come on. That's Gimli talking to Aomer after the Battle of the Pelennor. Okay, well, that's where you're wrong. Okay, is it after... Okay, no, you're right, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wait, no, 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 you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. You're, you is are wrong. after the wedding? It. When no. he says that... It's not after the coronation when... No, you're way off. You had the right characters. I know the characters for sure. Is far, far this off. Is... So this is when they meet for the f- first time? Really? Yep. Okay, I was for some reason I was thinking it was at the end of The Return of the King when... Uh, when Aomer basically says he thinks Arwen's more attractive and Gimli lets him <laughs> off the hook. Uh, no, it's it's when they first meet and they're like Aomer gives him the horses and says like sure. you know sure. best best of luck and uh, yeah that return with what speed you may and let our swords hereafter shine together. I will come, said Aragorn. I will come too, said Gimli. And then he talks about Galadriel. Aomer says we shall see. So many strange things have chanced. To learn yeah. the praise of a fair lady under the loving strokes of a dwarf's axe will seem no greater wonder. <laughs> Tolkien <laughs> is just a master of words. Just a master of words. That's oh, great. Man. That was good. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take fifty percent on that one. I'll take. Yeah, I'll take the F. Good. I'll take the F. Um, <laughs> all right. So mixer, I've actually got one that if you don't get the character, I won't be surprised at all. It's a very difficult one. It's just where I randomly open the book to. But I'm curious to see if you can get the context here because uh, it's it is rather obscure. Sure. Uh, so here we go. 
Uh, yes, said blank, but don't count on it. It's not easy in my mind. As I said, the big bosses, A, the big bosses, his voice sank almost to a whisper. I, even the biggest can make mistakes. Ooh. Oh, I know this one. It's, it's an obscure one. It is can I get it one more time? One. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Uh, yes, said blank, but don't count on it. It's not easy in my mind. As I said, the big bosses, uh, the big box bosses, his voice sank almost to a whisper. Even the biggest can make mistakes. Ooh. That's a hard one. That is a hard one. Oh, I'm not sure. I feel like, I feel like it sounds like it's being said by one of the hobbits. No. No. No, 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 no. It's an orc. His li the light's going off. It yeah. is. No, it's an orc. Uh... Well is it is it Shagrat? Oh, that is it. It's who it's who Shagrat's talking to, actually. Um, hold on. <laughs> it's like right on the tip of uh, your tongue. I can't remember the other one's name. How about the context? Do you remember kind of what they're discussing? I, is it um, is it when they're going through Frodo's stuff? It's like right before that, like as they're taking Frodo back to Carathungle. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Dang, man. No, that, you, got, you got basically no, all of it know. except the oh, name, though. I was so close. <laughs> Sam, do you know the name? It's Gorbag. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it's Gorbag. Like I said, that is a super uh, like, difficult and obscure one. It just, where I randomly I, opened I up to. I would have rather been totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> than that close. Than that close. Yeah. It's like you'd rather not make the playoffs than get second, right? Exactly. <laughs> Coming from someone who's been very wrong before, it's pretty embarrassing. So I don't know. I think I'd I'd probably rather be closer on that one. <laughs> All right, I got one for you, and you're Let's probably going to get it. I just I don't know. It we'll up. see. There's something that I had underlined because I was going to make Ooh. a point about this on my podcast. Beyond the circles of the world, I will not pursue them. For beyond the circles of the world, there is nothing. Yeah. So that is uh, Morgoth talk. Mm. Yep. Yeah, Morgoth talking. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, he's. This is like the curse of Turin, right? Uh, or the mm -hmm. children of Turin. He's saying pretty much like in the void, there's nothing, uh, or or something along those lines. Like going beyond. He's lying. Yes. Yeah. He's. Yeah. Pretty much telling him like there's. There's nothing out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, my wife like came in to tell me hey, he's sleeping. Turn it down a little bit. <laughs> so I was like, that's, that's reasonable. Uh, confused, many such but... cases. Many such cases. No, yes. that's, an ex that's exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your children and her in podcasts. It's interesting that you're going to, sounds like you're going to do it in one episode because Sam and I spent like a year doing an entire read through with like what, 14 parts to it or something like that. Something ridiculous. Takes, honestly, I, I, f I felt the reason people have been like, yo, where's the, Where's the Torin podcast at? Where's the Ryan Gosling podcast at? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all want Ryan oh, Gosling yeah. to play Torin. Yep. It, it's it's really hard because for me, this is one of those stories where I imagine every podcast I do, and you guys might relate to this. How do I explain this to my wife in a way that she <laughs> will think is cool? And I know for a fact that she's not going to like this story because yeah. if you're not if you're not in love with the lore already, you maybe might not get why this was written. Um, and I actually think, you know, one of the points that I'll make on my podcast, and I, I guess I don't need to go too much into it, but I think it's a shame that this book was written as a one-off 
um, even though I do like it a lot, because it's it's not a great story on its own. It's a great yeah. story in the context of everything else. It's a great story. But when you're trying to draw the meaning from it, when you're trying to highlight the philosophical underpinnings of it all, it's it's nihilistic if you don't deliver it properly. Now, it's not Tolkien didn't write it as nihilistic. It right. is not nihilistic. But in its delivery as a one-off story, it can come off as nihilistic, which kind of my mission with this podcast has been to show what's valuable about the story. And I re it's really important to me that I do that properly. So um, yeah, I've kind of kind of labored over this over the past couple of weeks. We're working on it, folks. It's coming. No, that's, that's, right. that's completely reasonable. That, like you said, it is a very challenging story to deliver properly because there's so much in it that just makes you question everything. Like, this isn't Lord of the Rings. There's, there's no happy ending. I mean, it's, it's such a deep story that I heard it was... Uh, somebody had mentioned that it was actually like a retelling of some... I think it was like a Nordic story originally. Kalevala, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a... Um, Kalevala is a Finnish epic. It's, Finnish, it's got... Okay. Um, it, it, it's, it's like a a release of a bunch of stories like all in one it's almost like the silmarillion you know it's mm. a bunch of stories all in one and it's based on this character i mean not based but tolkien draws a lot of inspiration from the character of i think it's colorbo um and he's kind of this hapless character where bad things just kind of constantly happen to him there's the crossover of talking to his sword killing himself with his own sword in the end of the story mm. the whole the sister debacle you know that, sure. <laughs> that uh that's in there as well so um you know you go you go through it and it's it's not it's certainly not the same thing so i wouldn't say that like it's a retelling of that story but it, it's certainly mm. that's where he drew inspiration and he admitted as much in a letter fascinating yeah definitely well good job well done playing your first riddles in the dark um Thanks, not bad I'm at all. Nervous. Uh, nervous no man you did you did great you did great well yeah we wanted to kind of just dive in have some good uh good dialogue discussion obviously you did a really good job in your intro just talking about um kind of why you got into tolkien and what he's kind of done in your life and your faith as well which i love um that's a big part of my story too um but we kind of just wanted to to dive into, I mean, like Seth said, we got a lineup of different things we can talk about. Um, but I really, we got to know where, where's, uh, where's the young Captain of Gondor coming from? How did he originate? I got to hear this story. Yeah. So, uh, it's, it's really, it's really lame. It's, it's a lame story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was on Instagram one day mm -hmm. and, um, I just, I, I'm sorry to admit it guys. I hope I don't let you down, but I didn't make that image. Uh -oh. I was on. I think I remember I you a, saying that at one point. Yeah, I was on a random Instagram page, and I just saw this really poorly edited picture of Faramir with a with a white bick <laughs> and a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. And it was the low effort of it all that like made me laugh. You know, mm -hmm. um, yeah. I was like, I'm gonna screenshot this, and you know, I'm just gonna put it away. I don't know what I'm gonna do with it. Uh, and I forget what the first one was. Kind of in the Washington Post store. One of those trash rag media. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I get, like I said, I tend to get very political on Twitter just because that's 
it's where a lot of my passion is. Uh, that's that's where I, I worked in the political field for a while. I did uh, political PR. I don't recommend anybody do it. Um, but yeah, I wanted to ratio this horrendous article that I saw that came out. And I was going through my, I was just scrolling through my camera roll. And I was like, what? What am I going to use here? I had no idea what I was going to say. <laughs> I had no idea what I was going to do. And I was just like, that'll do. And I just clicked it. And I, you know, I thought to myself, what's a stupid, what's a hilariously stupid low effort caption I could put yeah. here? And it was just that. And I've used the same one ever since. And it, it worked the first time. And it continues to work. The only man so far who has mastered a Faramir ratio is Mitt Romney. So uh, that's wow. off to him. Well done. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty tall target, though, to go after. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to give it to him. You know? One thing I love is seeing random article posts by random journalists that you haven't commented on. And I see that image all over the place. And it's, it's become more than just you having fun with it. Like, it really is drawing out and shining a light on kind of, you know, just the evil that these people are trying to put forth in my mind, at least. It's, it's, a, it's a fun, joking way to really just shine a light and be like, yes, this is what's going on behind the scenes if you're not paying attention. Yeah, I think the reason why I like to do it all the time is because, I, like I said, I came from PR, so I was helping people manage to to some extent helping people manage social media accounts um and no matter who says anything about you know ratios being stupid and they are stupid you know it's it's just dumb online you know banter sure um but i'm fully aware because of all of the dealings that i used to have with journalists and and being in the pr world how much that bothers people when they get like ratioed like that it's it's not it's people like people comms in on staffs are coming up with ways to try and make sure that that doesn't happen you know it's it's there mm. um so because i have that inner knowledge of how that all works i'm like i know i'm getting under some people's skin even if it's just somebody spends 15 minutes like upset huffing and puffing about it that's a win for me you know i've, I've bothered the the person who has wrote this this lie um it's it, and it has like you said it's it's kind of kind of grown like it's become more than than my posts you know other people are using it and i think that's funny like i, I love that other people are getting into it you know it's awesome seeing like a bunch of other accounts that I'm mutuals with that, you know, I've interacted with on Twitter for a long time and I don't, ha I had no idea they even followed you. And then, you know, I'll comment and join in on the ratio cause it's a blast. And then I see a few other people that I'm like, Oh, I didn't even know that they were, you know, joining on, on this too. It's just something that a lot of people can kind of rally behind. Yeah. What cracks me up is when like established people <laughs> will, They'll DM yeah. me and like, I, I, like I've gotten asked by guys before to pounce on a post. Uh, and I think that's hilarious. That, so like, are you for hire? Like, is there a price that people, <laughs> they slide into uh, your DMs uh, with, with the cash app? And there's, there's no price. <laughs> Faramir is the people's hammer and it shall remain mm. people's hammer. Uh, I, like I see that. it as kind of like, mm. it, you know, back in the old days in the forum, they used to throw rotten vegetables at people. And I see the Faramir ratio as a giant rotten cabbage that you can yep. throw at a, at a nasty journalist's article. 
Um, also, what I think is funny is I like to imagine no one's reached out to me. You know, no one's messaged me about it. I like to imagine the original guy who made that picture. And it's just like, what, <laughs> what is this? Yeah, you probably have not. Like you said, you just grabbed a random screenshot on Instagram. Random like, screenshot. Yeah, on like my explore page on Instagram. Oh I don't even know goodness. where I got it from. That's amazing. And it sat in my camera roll for a while. Like, it's not like I did it and then the next day I ratioed somebody. Like, I scrolled for a while. It was just like, hmm. I'm going to use this stupid picture. I mean, you say it's a stupid story, but when you think about it, like, all the things fell into place perfectly and you had the right idea to make it what it is, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I feel like, like I said, my experience in PR, it's like, my finger is a little bit on the pulse of like what will get a reaction from people. And I think it's kind of the low effort editing of the, you know, the graphic design is my passion right. you know, that makes people laugh at it. Um, but, and then it's got all of the Lord of the Rings context attached to it. And then people, you know, what they want to do the, uh, the Gondor calls for aid or the light, the beacons. I think yeah. you made a little, you made a little uh, thing yeah. that you use for it too, which I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, whenever I see a pop up, I I used AI to make a little beacons. Uh, yeah, love that. So. Nice. <laughs> but it's it's fun. We ha we have a good time, and uh, you know, journalists need to be punished. Mm. Well, that's actually a pretty decent transition into your article. Uh, you're not a necessarily a journalist by any means, except I mean, you could call Twitter, a, you know, a little outlet for that. It's um, but you wrote an article for the Blaze, and let me actually. Pull it up on stream here. Let me just switch over to this. Which, before we get into this, um, I mean, I don't. I, I've listened to a couple of your your podcasts, and I don't know. I don't know if you've touched on like any Numenorian background, and and some of you might have. Uh, Seth and I did like a three parter. Was it three? We maybe maybe four. I don't know. Um, just kind of the the whole Numenorian. Uh, civilization really and how it got so big and then the, the downfall obviously the the Akalabeth, um, which we'll be getting into here and kind of how it parallels uh what kind of what we're seeing right now in, in in the united states um so if you're listening you're like i don't even know what these guys are talking about with numenor and and sauron infiltrating and our far zone all that kind of stuff then uh, you can definitely go back and listen to our podcast on numenor and, and maybe you've got some some insight on that too but uh maybe that's a good place to start while seth's kind of pulling up the article do you want to just kind of give an overview of the Numenor side of things of like what happened, like a quick, I mean, I know it's, it's a very long drawn out process, but maybe just like a quick, just like what happened to like, what was Numenor, what happened to it and how, and then we can get into obviously how it parallels um, our world today. Well, so basically the Numenorians, they started to get a little bit afraid that the elves were going to come and take their jobs. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 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 Never mind. Never mind. Guys, right, don't right, listen. We, to we, got the, we got the, we got the rings of power choke out of the way. <laughs> Yeah, um it's good no it's 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 a great question and it's and it's honestly like when you get asked it's like oh man where do i start you know it's yeah it's really just a classic story of the appetites of of man gone mm. gone awry um and corruption and the there's so many different themes that you can't even say it's just one theme you know when you go through the sure. fall of numenor there's one of the things that i love actually what one of my favorite lines in the Akalabeth is when Tolkien actually says that at the point where our Farazan, the golden, you know, he is 
there had the world hasn't seen a tyrant of that nature since Morgoth. Mm. And yeah. it, he, he stresses the economic success of mm. Numenor at that time. Numenor is at its height during its highest level of corruption, you know? So mm. the, the idea that like, and I used to be, um, you know, I, I dropped out of grad school, but I was in grad school for economics, you know, uh, at one time. Um, and I was a major libertarian, classical liberal, you know. Sure. And my definition of a good world was graph goes up, you know, human mm. comfort goes up. And that, my opinion on that has changed, you know, because the higher the level of human comfort doesn't necessarily equate to a healthy human spirit. Uh, mm. And that's... So Sorry, Let me, I'm going to interrupt you just real quick. That's actually one of Sam and I's big things. And that's why we, when we were trying to decide what to come up uh, with a name for our podcast, that's why we came up with well-earned comforts because mm. not, I mean, it is a play on words from, you know, the, the walls of Isengard and the two towers, but at the same time, Sam and I are staunch believers and you have to face discomfort to have well-earned comforts from it. So I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like oh, we're yeah. in that same mindset. So I just wanted yeah. to throw that out there. Sometimes I rant, you know, you, you can feel free. To <laughs> no, no, I just had to jump in for a second. It's just a stream of conscious. It's like my Twitter page. I <laughs> uh, love it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the, as far as Numenor goes, um, the seeds of corruption, I think, start with um, the King Metaldor. Uh, his Silmarion, who is the, you know, as you guys know, she was the true heir to the throne. And that's the line that Elendil eventually comes through. Um, I think that that's kind of, um, when you read The Mariner's Wife, uh, that's where things kind of start to go awry, but it takes a really mm. long time, right? It doesn't, doesn't happen yeah. overnight. Um, you know, his son's appetite of wanting to constantly leave Middle, uh, not Middle-earth, Numenor, wanting to constantly leave Numenor, not being content with the land, not being content with his job, but wanting to fuel this appetite of whatever it be, you know, it's, there's, there is such thing as too much of a good thing. I actually just talked about this on, uh, one ring.com guys, shout out to Jonathan. Love that guy. Hey, um, yeah. He's nice. a good guy. He's a good yeah, guy. We just, we just talked about this and it's this slow roll uh, of time and degradation, but at the same time, Numenor is becoming successful in pretty much all of its endeavors, except for endeavors of the spirit. Um, their yeah. their core is becoming corrupted, and a lot of that corruption is being pushed by their own anxieties and their own fears. Um, there's another great podcast that I listen to. I don't agree with all of it, but it's called uh, Bema, and it's a it's a guy named Marty Solomon. But he talks about the Bible, kind of this like framing of how the characters of the Bible, the people that God chooses to work with. There's this constant lesson that they need to learn of how they need to trust the story. They need to trust God. And I mm. think it's a great parallel to the, the point that he makes about the Bible. He's actually, uh, he's a Jewish Christian. So he kind of teaches the Bible from more of an Eastern perspective, some things that we don't think about in the West. And I'm listening yeah. to it right now. That's why it's like, it's on my mind. Sure. Um, the Numenorians weren't trusting the story, right? They weren't trusting mm. in Iluvatar. They weren't trusting that... They can live this good life as long as they live within the boundaries that are set for them. And if they control their appetites, things will be good for them. And then they will cross on 
to their ultimate, you know, destiny, which is to leave Earth and then assist Iluvatar in the end with creating a new Earth, singing a new song. Um, but they're not trusting in that. You know, they're moving away from that, and that's when things start to go wrong for them. And it culminates, yeah, of course, with the corruption of Sauron. Yeah, that's a great that's a that's a great tie in, and uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing all that. Absolutely, of course. Yes, Sam, I figure you probably have something to say along those same lines. Just <laughs> that parallel from you know you're a youth pastor, and so I'm sure you've spoken at least to to some of the students with something along those lines, even if you didn't necessarily tie it to Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I actually was told by my boss. He he told me, hey, you got to stop using references. Keys kids don't get. <laughs> <laughs> it's like i'm like but no you gotta understand like you know bilbo like when he first gets the ring it's like no that's they're not gonna go back and watch that or read that like all right well my wife you're wrong but <laughs> <laughs> no uh but yeah i i definitely have i mean i've taught plenty of story you look at like gideon in the old testament who you know god chooses is like hey you're gonna be my warrior he's like me a mighty warrior no no you, you have to show me all these signs you know make this pelt wet okay now dry the pelt okay now <laughs> like he just has all these requests of god and god was patient with him probably more than he deserved to be um but exactly right he, he had a story in, in in line for him for for king david i mean obviously peter you look at new testament and just kind of the hot shot that he was and the failures that he had but yet the redemption that he had through that too and um yeah it's 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 when you start trying to take matters into your own hands assuming either you can be a better god or that god doesn't have your best interest in mind mm. things are gonna things are gonna melt quick for sure absolutely and i think that's why well, you know but... it's called faith really because you have to trust that god like you said does have your best interest in hand which i can think of many times in my own personal life where it's like i i really don't trust that but then there's times where I've leaned into it and it, it does work out. Or if it doesn't at the time, a few years down the road, I'm like, actually it did. Like it still did. Yeah. It just took me a while to realize that. Yeah, um, sure. Kind of going back to what you briefly mentioned earlier about on fairy stories and the smudged window, um, really explain that from, from your perspective and kind of how that fits, you know, the climate today and how, how, like in your article, you talk about Tolkien using fairy story or the secondary world to, to kind of wipe that mirror clean and reset it. Yeah, I think it's um, trying to think where I start here because there's there's <laughs> so there's so much that goes into it. You know, the even just down to something as simple as I hate to be basic, but a tree. You know the. Sure fantasy lord of the rings in particular um it, it helps you tap into that kind of beauty of even just nature of even god's creation that mm. you know tolkien will take a paragraph to describe some beautiful scenery and then all of a sudden you know i read that i read mm. that paragraph maybe in the morning over some coffee or something and sure. my default state as a person was not to appreciate that. I've evolved now to a point where I do, but it's because of all those little moments where I'm reading Lord of the Rings, I walk outside and I see a reflection of what I have just seen written down mm -hmm. on a page. 
And I stop and I go, you know what? That is incredible. That is, that color is beautiful. That color mm. is lush. And, you know, then that translates to I'm, I'm outside and I'm holding my four month old daughter, you know, and I'm yes. looking out the, the back of the sunroom and I'm like, look at all the pretty colors, you know, you might not mm-hmm. be able to process them all right now, but eventually you will, you know, and it's like, I'm seeing it through her eyes, you know, and that all, that all ties into like the stories that we tell ourselves and how we reflect those stories. And to be honest, I can't, I can't fully quantify in words where my faith has intersected with Tolkien. I think it's Mm -hmm. because it's more of something that's like, it's something that is existing inside of me that I, like, I, I almost can't even fully process, but if I was to use an example from the text, you know, when Gandalf has the comp, my, my favorite, my absolute favorite interaction in the entire Middle Earth legendarium is Gandalf's confrontation with the Balrog on the bridge. You know, mm. you go through, I've, that, that was what I did my first podcast on, or I don't know, my first podcast might've been on a Rings of Power trailer, but it was either that <laughs> or my second one. Sure. Um, you know, and you look at that and it's so significant to the entire story. And that is real spiritual warfare that's happening yeah. in that moment. Yeah. And I'm reading that and I'm digesting the gravity of what it means for these two, like Maiar, to be facing each other. One, you know, of light and one of the fallen. And it just brings back to your mind all of the biblical stories of like, oh, what Tolkien wrote, this is, this, is just, this is just what's been inspired from what I already believed, what he believed. You know, it's yeah. just been inspired from the interactions and the battles we face every single day. You know, we, we are fighting dark forces on a daily basis. And then you start to see it. You know, you start to see it in your... That's, that's a great way to put it. When you see it in the text, it helps you look for it on a daily basis. Mm. It's like... Yeah. I have I have a Toyota RAV4. I never noticed a Toyota RAV4 before, but now that right, I have yep. one, I see every single Toyota RAV4 that drives down the street and I notice it and I process it. And that's how it that's how it works with the spirituality of you know what I'm reading in Tolkien's works and how it's reflected back to me in my daily life. And it's de-smudges mm-hmm. my window and then I see it in my daily interactions. Does that make sense? That was a lot. No, yeah, yeah it makes absolutely. That makes really good sense. And just like you said, once you are aware of something, you see it a lot more frequently. And that's, I think that's what Tolkien was trying to do. But as Sam and I point out all the time on our podcast, he was opposed to allegory, whereas C.S. Lewis was like slapping you in the face with allegory. And they're just two different styles. But Tolkien at one point said he prefers history true or feigned. And in saying that, he can't separate his upbringing, his beliefs and everything that underpins his entire legendarium, but he just doesn't, he doesn't wipe the mirror for you. I guess I would say he, he lets it's there so that when you get immersed in it and you start to see it, you can wipe the mirror yourself or the window. Um, but he doesn't do it for you. Kind of like CS Lewis would. Absolutely. Yeah. And I prefer it that way. Agreed. No disrespect to my man Clive, but <laughs> <laughs> Clive Staples. I've been I listening. Do, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say, I've been listening to a, a book about the Inklings and I didn't know that much about C.S. Lewis's, uh, this is just a quick tangent, his upbringing, but he was a very fascinating individual. Oh yeah. Very fascinating. No. And you know, what's funny oh, right. is like, I read about Tolkien and Lewis's friendship. I read about Tolkien and I read about Lewis and I'm like, I don't think Tolkien would have liked me. <laughs> you know like all of the all the uh fun because it, it was it was in good fun you know they loved each other uh but all of the kind of character complaints that tolkien has about c.s lewis i feel like are more akin to my personality you know i feel sure. like i'm i'm somebody who's more aligned with like you know my wife tells me i have a little a lot of bravado and i move my hands a lot and i you know i'm loud i, I feel like c.s lewis is more <laughs> more that kind of guy. And um, Tolkien is a little bit more of like that sort of like f extremely focused on, on certain topics and certain things mm -hmm. and, and easily agitated type of person, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, I was reading, when I was reading through your article here, um, man, I highlighted oh, a lot right. of stuff, but I don't want to spend a ton of time but one of the things that you highlighted here um, was you said, give a little ground, take a monument down, bake a cake, wear a mask. If you comply a few things, uh, maybe they won't hate you so much. They always will. It'll never be enough. And to me, that is exactly what was going on, like in the fall of Numenor with the Akelabeth, with the faithful. They, they just tried to stay quiet, right? Like the, you mentioned that in the article as well, but they didn't stand up against the Kingsmen. They didn't you know, push back even, um, you know, Alindil and I always forget his dad's name, Amandil, I believe. Um, he basically said like, just don't get in the way, put your ships, you know, off the coast, stay clear of them, but don't, you know, don't try to stop them. Don't get involved in any way. And yeah. kind of the, just the political landscape that we're in today, it feels very much similar where, you know, a lot of people are scared to speak up or they, don't want to enmesh themselves in the political world, which quite frankly, I never did either, but it just seems like you can't escape it right now. And it, it seems like America is kind of at that turning point where they were in the, in the Akelabeth. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, if you look at the destruction and the, the burning of the tree of Nimloth, right? Sauron is able to take that, this standing symbol of, of friendship with the elves, you know, it was given to them as a, as a sapling by the elves of Tol Arisea. And, you know, at the end of the day, that really is a reflection of the light of Valinor. It's a reflection of the light of the trees of Valinor and yep. their connection with the Valar, their connection with uh, the blessing that they've been given, their connection with Iluvatar ultimately, right? Because the Valar are acting on behalf of the authority of Iluvatar on earth. And, he's able to take that symbol that connects them with, with not just their morality, right? Well, actually, not just their past, but also their morality, right? Yeah. Everything that defines how they should be living their lives and why, because it's, it's ultimately a symbol of that. And he's able to take that and make it a symbol of oppression. He's able to mm. redefine what the Tree of Nimloth is to them. He's able to make it a symbol of like, oh, even, even having this here... It, you're you're essentially making yourselves thralls to the elves, you know, and obviously it's not 
Sauron doesn't necessarily like say that word for word what I'm saying, but it's clearly reflected in the text and how he talks about the tree and how he tries to undermine the authority. Um, and I'm reading that from just the type of person that I am, and that's what I'm that's what I'm getting out of it. And I believe that that's what Tolkien was trying to express and communicate. Uh, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis both didn't like people who tried to redefine history. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see that happening as that's all taking place, as this, as this corruption and this redefinition of the good, this redefinition of our history and our morality. Um, and, I mean, you're blind if you don't think that that's happening today. That happens every single day. You know, I, I made that that new meme the other day where it's the tap the sign meme, like it's just the fall of Numenor, only more cringe. Um, yep. You know, this is something that's happening constantly. And, you know, I'm not even talking about one specific monument here, but there is, I mean, they just removed a statue of Thomas Jefferson from like uh, one of the squares in New York City. It's yeah. It's constant and it happens every day. And there are people, these grifters who make, they make so much money. I mean... Just to name a couple examples, I mean, the the people who are running BLM, you know, they're Marxists and they have like five houses. You know, this there's grifters who are making a living off of this degradation, off of this redefining. And it's people think, you know, people on the uh, a lot of the center right people in the Washington establishment, um, a lot of the class classical liberal crowd that I came out of, they all think that these are just one offs. Or they all think that they're just coincidences or they're isolated incidents that are indicative of a, of a greater disease of the body politic. And they just kind of look the other way or they think it's not really a problem. And we need to be out there fighting these battles and standing up for our past where the point that I made in the article is that the faithful essentially failed at doing yeah. so. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a tragedy, you know, those are great characters and we, we don't, you know, we don't knock the house of Silmarion. We, we love them, you know, lots of, lots of great heroes came from there, but it was the inaction and the inability to, um, you know, do anything to stop the Kingsmen from doing what they were doing that allowed Sauron to gain the foothold that he did. And I don't know how anybody can read the fall of Numenor. That's, that's another thing with the Tolkien scholars. They're like, I want you to read this. I want you to enjoy this. I want you to love this. But don't you dare. Don't you dare come away with with any opinions on how I could use this to view the modern world. Like, I, no, that's not how you're supposed to read things. Right. Um, so I read the Acalabaith and it just, it, to me, it just reflects the current state of the United States uh, and a lot of the countries in the West, in my opinion. Well, it's amazing, too, that he wrote this going on, I guess, 70 years ago, right? Something like that. And so even if like he had no intention of it being a kind of mirror, if you will, to to society nowadays, I mean, I think you're right. It's too obvious. You look at some of the parallels and just the way that things are are unfolding um, specifically with, I think, everything's so emotional based right i mean at least seems like that with me i mean you look at some of the things that you even mentioned like everything's emotional emotionally driven you know these 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 riots or these uproarings or you know things people get so upset about and then create more cancelizations or more like they just have to 
silence people because of it. And, and so then it makes people who maybe have a bit more of a rational, logical way of thinking like, well, okay, I'm not going to fight this battle. Like, I'm just going to sit this one out. It, it's fine. It'll blow over. Like, that was one of the to your point. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No. Yeah. But to your point, that's not been the case. Like, it's just the emotions continuing to build into momentum. And pretty soon we might be seeing a, a big tidal wave coming our way. I don't know. You know, one of the criticisms that I got when I wrote that article was there were people on like the left wing Tolkien, Tolkien society crowd of Twitter. Most yeah. of them had me blocked, but the ones that didn't have me blocked, um, they were like, oh, Tolkien didn't believe in allegory. This isn't a metaphor for any kind of fall of a country. And it's like, yeah, thank you. Thanks, Tolkien scholar. I know that I know that J.R. Tolkien wasn't writing about the degradation of politics in the United States. I know that that like wasn't I know it's not allegory for that. It's the themes that we learn the lesson from. Like people, they were complaining mm -hmm. about my title. I said Tolkien's lesson. Like it was gotcha. intentional. It's not that it was intentional that I got this specific thing out of it. It's intentional that I got the themes out of it. And I see the themes reflected in our society. And that's what I wrote about. I wrote about the themes that I'm seeing play out in front of me on a daily basis. And it's... It's almost I mean, like human nature doesn't change, right? Exactly. Like, Tolkien, he he knew people. He knew the way humans, you know, function in society, and he knew the way that our brains worked. And I'm sure he, you know, it might have been something as simple as just some politics at Oxford or something like that. Like, who knows what he was writing it for? It could have just been, you know, straight from his imagination. But obviously, he had some underlying themes that you're talking about. But that's the thing about the beauty of Tolkien is he, like I said, he doesn't slap you in the face with the allegory, but it's applicable. Everything he writes, whether it's even children of who and although thankfully I don't think either Sam or I uh, have married our sister, but everything in his stories are applicable in some way to your current life. And it's up to you to make that decision. And, and when you read the Akalabeth, that's what you got out of it. And I think that's a very apt, uh, you know, realization. Yeah. And you think too, absolutely. he's, He's a professor. He's he or was I mean, he was a professor. He taught like and he teaches through his writings. And like you mentioned, maybe it's a lesson that he was saying, "Hey, watch out! Don't let this happen to your your civilization. Don't let this like he's writing a fantasy story that's epic and awesome, and we love to talk about it. We love to joke about it. We love to just enjoy it. But I think there's he he cared so much about it. Like, I mean, there's so much more to everything that he wrote. There's so much depth to everything that he wrote, and the guy was so brilliant that he he put out lessons. I think, like you mentioned, in even in in his quotes and his writings. I mean, it's like all you have to do is decide what to do with the time that's given to you. Like those things that just kind of stick with you. It's like I'm going to use that for my life. I've used that in sermons. I've used that in interactions I've had with with people, or when I'm like freaking out about the future. It's like I, all I can do is decide what to, to do with the time that's given to me in in this situation. Like I can't regret the past and you know all this kind of stuff but uh, well, yeah but, yeah and, and obviously i mean i have enough respect and passion for and love for what tolkien wrote to not limit it to the politics of the day right mm -hmm. right the the middle earth legendarium transcends you know the the current d versus r you know whatever the divide is 
Yeah. But that doesn't mean that the themes that exist within certain sections of the legendarium can't be applied to some kind of anything, whether it's an interaction, whether it's a person. That's what I, I love. There's, there's a Tolkien character for everything, whether it's a, yeah. a yeah. person, a caricature, an archetype, or, or a story that you see playing out. You know, you can apply that and you can take the lessons that you learn from the legendarium and say, hey, wait, wait, I've seen this before, you know, and and I've always part of the part of the reason why I wrote that, too, was uh, I actually I know somebody over at the blaze and um, he had messaged me and asked me to write something for them. And I had kind of always wanted to write a politically oriented essay of, of that nature about the fall of Numenor, because I think that there's so much rich stuff in there. Um, you know, Tolkien was dialed into certain things that I feel like people miss. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's interesting, Sam and I, when we were going through our children of Turin podcast, like we, we kept reflecting on like Turin's mindset that Tolkien doesn't explicitly say, but like the psychology behind his decisions and his decision-making. And I mean, if you were reading it in a textbook, a lot of the lessons and themes that Tolkien is expressing through his characters are, you know, you could read that in a more dry, bland, boring version in a textbook. It's the same thing. He just makes it engaging and something that you want to read. And you don't even really notice that you're learning these lessons unless, like you said, you kind of you wipe the, the mirror there. Yeah, exactly. Um, I kind of wanted to jump to the end of your article here. And I've got two questions. You make a statement in here that I very much agree with. Um, and again, it, it completely... It doesn't matter R versus D independent politics do not matter with this statement, but I think it's incredibly accurate. You said America, uh, excuse me, Americans need to revitalize, need a revitalization of faith, family and service to community again. And that really is where all of this stems from. We need to be good fathers. We need to be good husbands. We need to be good stewards of our communities, the people we work with. We need to let, you know, Sam's better at this than I am, but letting Christ's light shine through you and, and let people know that there's something different about these people. And I like that. Um, and then I guess to follow up with that statement is the question of Tolkien kind of coined this term, you catastrophe, which is, uh, defined as a sudden and favorable resolution of events in a story, basically a happy ending, something that is unexpected and it just kind of happens. You know, the eagles come and swoop up Frodo and Sam and there was a third eagle for Gollum, but, you know, he didn't make it. Um, so do you think that there is the possibility of a you catastrophe to happen in this current climate? Or is it just something where, kind of like you were talking about throughout the article, we have to stand firm in our beliefs and speak out and be stewards of the revitalization of faith, family, and service to community? I think it's both. To be honest with you, I think it's, uh, it's, it requires us standing up. It requires a fight. It requires an engagement with the culture. You know, I, I see people on the internet, they talk about fleeing the cities into the countryside. And, you know, that's, that's fine, but that's, that's only going to get you so far. Eventually it will come for the countryside. I, I think prior to the birth of my daughter, I was very much... Um, I was white-pilled on, uh, on teleology. I was white-pilled on, um, you know, the afterlife, on, on Christ, on uh, things being okay in the end. 
Yeah. Uh, but I was blackpilled on politics completely. I was, yep. I was like, there's no hope for this country. It's just going to continue to, to get worse. Um, you know, we're going to continue to enter the mouth of the wolf until basically until the book of revelation. And that's still obviously going to take place. But I do think after the, after I came up on the birth of my daughter and then as she's grown the past couple months, you know, I, I've constantly thought to myself, like, Hey, I, I need to, I need to show her that there's light every day, sure. you know, that there's light at the end of every tunnel every day. And whether I believe it or not, it's my duty to, to show that to her, you know, it's my duty to put my best face on every single day. So for her sake, it's made me hopeful again, that there can be some new catastrophe that Christ can, well, he, of course he can, but that Christ sure. will turn this country around and that, you know, things will get better here and, and things will get better for the human spirit and better for our thriving. You know, I, I think that some of the values of this country need to, need to be altered. They need to change. There needs to be, like you said, um, you know, that, that return to being good fathers or how I said in my article, faith, family, community. Um, mm -hmm. it, it needs to turn back to the local and, you know, just being real, you know, we're, we're all Christians on this podcast, but not everybody agrees with us, you know, and we can't force sure. everybody to agree with us. We can only be salt. We can only be salt and light. Um, so how you, how you mend that, those kind of differences is that you need to have a return to the locality and you need to have a return to starting with the family, having as many groups within your local community as possible, where people are really looking out to, to help their neighbor. Um, as opposed to depending on outside resources to come to their aid all the time. I think it's, it's all things like that. But I mean, ultimately, our responsibility as Christians is to look to Christ. And you know, I, I've, even, I've even thought about how I've interacted with people on, on Twitter recently. And I, I thought like, man, I really need to, I need to start being nicer to people online, you know, because I, I have to kind of reflect that that salt and light, because that's the only way that we're going to make any positive effect in the world. But I believe that if we do that, if we do what's right and we have faith, I do believe that God will pay that back to us in dividends in at least our endeavors. Yeah. So it's, it's, I've, go ahead, Sam. No, sorry. Yeah. I, I absolutely love what you're saying. And it's funny. I'm teaching on kind of a similar topic to this on Wednesday night. We do our students on Wednesday nights and I'm teaching out of first Peter sec, uh, uh, chapter two, uh, 11 through 12, where he's encouraging believers. He says, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, meaning like we're not of this world, we're as citizens of heaven, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. And I think that's kind of sums up exactly what you're saying is like, we have this call to, again, be the light, be, be, be the salt to stand out as again, foreigners. We don't reside in this world. Like even as Americans, we can love our country, but this is not our home as Christians. We don't believe that. And, but we can live such a life that blows the minds of non-believers and it's going to frustrate them. They're going to accuse us for, th for certain things, but 
when you actually see change happening, when you see you know, at-risky youth getting taken care of, when you see um, Christians coming in droves after natural disasters, I mean, you see these things that you can't deny. Okay, there's some good in this world and it's worth fighting for, to quote uh, good old Sandy yeah. MG, yep. Peter Jackson version. But yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. That's That's where our service starts. You know, we have to have faith that that is going to be honored by, by God. And I, and I, I think that, I, I think that he does honor us, you know, when we go out and we do a, we put an honest effort to, to really try and serve people in our community and serve our neighbor and, and reflect his love. Yeah. And I guess the challenge to all of us and, you know, speaking in I language challenge to me you know, is, is not to make the state, the same mistake as, as the Numenorians did, you know, um, to, to keep an eye on the greater picture and not get mm-hmm. obsessed with, you know, the small things or not even the small things, but the things that we deem more important and just to, to focus on the greater picture that, that is out there. Um, with that, kind of a hard segue uh i think we we covered the article pretty well but just for you know the next 10 15 minutes i don't know if you have an art a hard out but just i thought it would be fun to kind of go through a couple of the rumors from that article on i think it was the one ring.net uh that was released about the rings of power i certainly didn't see it on twitter they have me blocked (laughs) (laughs) yeah that is fair from a second source that is fair (laughs) Um, but I'll pull up a few of them here. Did you guys get a chance to read through them? Yeah, I took a look. Yeah. I took a look at them. I don't. I don't know if I saw all of them, but I saw a good, a good sure. portion. I watched a YouTube video. It might have been the one read on it. I don't remember who who posted it, but just like there was like thirty different uh, rumors of things that were going on, and I was like, wait, excuse me, what? <laughs> Are we? We're going there? Okay. Um, I'm sure you'll have a few of them, but. You know, Tom Bombadil and Goldberry being Morgoth and Ungoliant serving out our sentence from no, wait, wait, what? <laughs> Where are you going? What are you doing? It's crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah. So I kind of wrote down just a couple of them. Um, I have the article up on the stream uh, for anybody watching or on the YouTube version. Um, but there was a few that really stood out to me. Number four and uh, number six. I was wondering, why do you think Eru is disembodied um, and no characteristics can be made out? The Valar are larger than the Maiar, bathed in golden light and completely naked. Um, with that, it kind of concerns me. If, if they were ch- staying true to Tolkien, I think that this could work. Um, because Eru is obviously Tolkien's version of God, even though it's not allegory. He is the God of Tolkien's world. Um, but with the disembodied voice and no characteristics. And I'm, I'm kind of afraid that they're trying to kind of, like you said, the, what was it? The Tolkien society, you know, all those articles that they've tried to release lately, you know, the Maiar and everything and the Valar, they, they weren't male or female. They were, they were fluid and all, you know, Tolkien and the whatever, whatever. And I'm afraid that that's kind of what they're going to try to insinuate. If this rumor is true. I think, um, I'm fine with the, again, like, it's like, am I fine with the idea or am I fine with Amazon, the corporation having the idea? Yes. Um, Because I don't know what they're going to do with it. Uh, Yeah, like, 
Iluvatar being a disembodied voice, uh, I'm fine with that just because that's kind of how I would, I would imagine maybe a uh, representation of, of Iluvatar be kind of, if you were to show him in a form, I would be very questionable of like whatever that form is, you know, yeah. because this is supposed to be um, the ultimate being of the Middle Earth universe that, that shouldn't necessarily be like restricted to one single form. Uh, however, it's more just what are they going to do with it? You know, one of the right. things that it, during the Rings of Power, one of the complaints that I had, which at first wasn't a complaint because I was kind of thrilled when I was watching the, I know it's weird to say that you're thrilled when you're watching Rings of Power, but <laughs> I got excited when uh, the character Adar had mentioned the one and then sure. Sauron did it again later. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. You know, they mentioned Iluvatar. That's, I didn't think that I would get that at all. That's fascinating. And then as I got further and further away from the show, I thought about it and I was like, you know what? The only characters to mention Iluvatar are evil. Mm. An interesting observation. And that's, that's kind of, I don't, you know, I don't like that. Um, among yeah. a million other things I didn't like about the show. But so that made me go back and say, you know, I don't know if I'm, I don't know what they're going to do with it. I don't even think that this rumor is true because I don't know how they're going to do any of this. Um, but yeah, I, I'm very weary to see what they would do with Iluvatar. But as far as a, a disembodied voice, I'm okay with that. It's more the, the insistence of people like the Tolkien Society, great example, of the Valar have no gender or they picked their genders. It's no, they were, they were embodied in the nature that they were given by Iluvatar's thought. So right. they didn't pick their gender. They were given their gender. Yeah, and they had spouses, <laughs> like, or or part, like, yeah, partners, I guess. But eh, spouses, yeah. Um, another one that kind of stood out to me here. Uh, let me find it. Is number fourteen, uh, and that is that Sauron had a son who killed. Yeah, I was who hoping Adar you were killed. Oh, what? Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, this yeah, is this one is of the. Uh... Yeah, nah, I, I yeah, I was just gonna say this is like one of those things. Again, you go so far away from Tolkien and like his character of Sauron. Like, it makes no sense for that. And he would have his motivation is not oh gosh somebody killed my son, which is probably what they're gonna do. They've tried to make him like the sexy bad guy that you kind of feel for, like oh man he's got it tough. Like you know, same thing they did with the Joker, right? When they did the Joaquin Phoenix Joker, fantastic movie. I hated what they did because it's like you make you 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 feel for this guy, like oh my gosh, I yeah go kill all those people, go go Joker. And I feel like that's kind of what they're trying to do with Sauron is make him have this sad backstory. Like, oh yeah, he was. A, you know, he was a father of something that was taken away from. No, he made a one ring that he wanted to rule the entire world with and kill everybody with and oppress everybody. There was no, there was no good in him through any of Tolkien's writings. There was never a hint of that. And to, ah, yeah, I'll, I'll let you speak into it now. Please. Oh no, I was going to say <laughs> before uh, I get in trouble. I, well, one, I think it's ridiculous 
So first, first and foremost, the idea of ha- of Sauron having a son is just absolutely absurd. Um, it, it doesn't line up with the lore at all. Like you said, I think you made a good point. It doesn't line up with any of Sauron's motivations. Uh, Sauron isn't going around having romantic relationships with, I don't know who it would be. I'm assuming it'd be an elf or like, I mean, a, yeah. a, a woman maybe. I don't, I don't know where this is coming from. And I kind of, I, I certainly hope it's not true. Um, but yeah, it, it doesn't line up with doesn't line up with with anything and it's because not so not only do you have you're introducing this character that is not it never happened in the lore but you're having him be killed off by another character that never happened in the lore so you have all of these side plots that just have nothing to do with the story at all and it's it's taking away from everything and it sucks because like your immediate your immediate response is to be like, that wouldn't ever happen. You know, a, a, a Maya mm-hmm. would not just mate with a human, but then you're like, oh, Melian. Yeah. I can't do that. You know, all the, all the weirdos, all the shippers and all the weirdos on Twitter are going to make fan art of, of this romantic relationship that Sauron has. And you can't even stop them because there's Thingol and Melian that you have to contend with. Um, but I, like I said, I think it's ridiculous. I don't mind an exploration of Sauron um, sure. because, you know, I, I do, I do disagree. Like I think that at some points in the lore, there were times where Sauron was good, at least in the beginning. That's, that's the, that's what we hear right from uh, is that nothing is evil in the beginning. And, and Sauron's original intent was to be something beautiful. And he ends up being very, something very ugly, obviously, but by the second time second age comes around like his obeisance that he gives to Aonwe is not it's not real repentance it's it's fear of of retribution um so there's no i, I don't want to see any story where Sauron is is just has good intentions at least during the second age yeah uh, i completely agree i mean there's that brief moment of like you said repentance kind of right after um you know at the very end of the first age and then Sauron he he's scared of having to face his own actions and and go face to face with Mandos and he's like no I, I I'm not about that and he he flees and in that action he's not willing to own up to himself so it's not a true repentance and from that point on yeah it's kind of mentioned that Sauron initially wanted to order things the way he saw the world and they kind of say like that wasn't a negative thing right off the bat. Like he didn't have a negative purpose, but he was kind of like a just the ends justify the means. And it's the like way good he, for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Wow. And, and his whole persona was twisted by, by Melkor or Morgoth. And so even the way he saw the world and he wanted to shape the world around what he wanted it to be was still twisted from, you know, his, his servitude under, you know, Morgoth, the, the black foe of the world. Tolkien also uh, says in the Silmarillion, though, that Sauron was second evil only to Melkor because he had the desire to please Melkor. Like, that was the yeah. only thing that kept him on a lower level of evil does, than Morgoth. And so, I, I mean, I think you you can look at his character and maybe you can play with him a little bit. But I, one of the things I do really, I, I don't know. Yes, I believe obviously in, in restoration, redemption for God's creation. When when you look at like us humans and 
absolutely the grace that we need, the forgiveness we need, the brokenness that we have that we just need to come back to God and be like, I'm sorry, please accept this mess. Um, I think Tolkien was very adamant. Like this is not one of those situations. (laughs) Like this is just good versus evil. And I I mean, again, you can make, maybe make a little bit of a case for him and in some, some aspects, but again, what he's doing is complete and utter selfishness if if not evil no, I, selfishness and right i mean sorry go yeah ahead. no that's that's pretty much where i was going yeah no i was so. gonna say in the in the first age i mean if you look at the story of um sauron finds that gentleman whose whose wife died and then Gorlem. yeah he takes yeah. pleasure in showing him the phantom of his wife and torturing him and then uh, getting him to reveal the location of his companions. And then he, yep. you know, he's like, well, there you go. Now you can join her. And he does this like laughing, you know, there's the Silmarillion mm-hmm. is very clear that Sauron is at a point of like absolute, you know, abject wickedness. Um, yeah. So that's why the only way I would take an exploration of Sauron is if it was some kind of flashback to his original form. Mm. Um, you know, pre-fall, maybe when he was a uh, living out his proper purpose. But yeah, I, I think it's it's very clear that he's nothing but pure evil. You know, in the second age. So I, I don't I don't need to see any storylines where he's dancing around between making the right decision or the wrong decision. We know he's going to make yeah. the wrong well, decision. And that's something that you even mentioned in your article was the part of Numenor falling you know, the fall of Numenor was because they let go of abject morality. Like they started letting subjective things take over their, you know, their objective morality. And this is, that's kind of how I view this, where it's like, this is pretty objective, clear. And, you know, it's, it's good versus evil. And people are trying to manipulate it and say, well, it's more subjective. You know, they're trying to weasel they're trying to take something that's black and white, good and evil, and just make it gray. It's it's the TikTok effect. It's ruined everything. Mm. You know, yeah. it, everybody wants, you know, people want the marketing for their show. So sure. everybody wants the like, I'm obsessed with him TikToks or the he's mm. literally me TikToks. I don't know if you've ever heard of the show The Boys. Um, yeah, it's yeah. terrible. Uh, but, um, what's his name? Homelander, you know, he, Homelander is, is disgusting. He's, he's a villain, you know, in the show. Uh, I watched it for research purposes. Um, (laughs) but everybody connects with Homelander, even though if you watch kind of the first season, he's, he's much more repugnant than he is in the following seasons, because there's this formula that writers in the secular world have come up with where they like people to have these like these enemies that people know that they're not supposed to like but they kind of do like it's a good it's a good seller you know for for a show or for a character and it's really lizard brain based storytelling um and i and i think it's a shame because I i don't think anything is immune to it that comes out nowadays you know it's all yeah it's all the marvel it's all the Marvel, Disney garbage. Yeah, you know everything is just. There's a great episode of SpongeBob. You heard of SpongeBob, folks? We know SpongeBob. <laughs> oh, the, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. The where the Krusty Krab gets bought out by a corporation, and then the corporation mm-hmm. is producing the Krabby Patties, but they're doing it in a cheaper way. Um, they're no longer using the secret formula, and somebody goes to take a bite out of the sandwich, and it's just like a big, disgusting gray blob. <laughs> 
And that's how I think that's a good metaphor for every single thing that comes out now. It's, it's all just the same formula and, and there's no depth to it. Um, and, you know, I, I wanted the rings of power to be good, but it's, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's capable. I think the only way that they would be good is somehow despite themselves. It's like, I, I believe that God has blessed you know, Tolkien's legendarium. So I would see that as like kind of a miracle that yeah. an act of God <laughs> that he allowed the show to be good. Um, but yeah, that mm. plays into, it was a long yeah. rant just to say that Sauron is bad, but <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. It's good. It's good to flush it out a little <laughs> yeah. bit. Um, Sam already touched on this one a little bit, <laughs> uh, but it is Tom Bombadil and Goldberry are in an episode. They are played by the same actor and actress as Melkor and Ungoliant from episode one. And the pair as Tom Bombadil and Goldberry are serving out punishment from Mandos per a long held fan theory, which I have literally never heard this as a fan theory. Um, so so apparently society fan theory. uh, Yeah, it's gotta be. I mean, (laughs) there Tom Bombadil, jolly old Tom, um, I even had an image of him as like our, you know, our waiting screen. Like, there's no way. No. My it's question, just... I, I'm unclear on on what the the rumor is. Is it that people think that Melkor and Ungoliant are Tom and Goldberry? That is my understanding, at least based on how it's written. Because um, I thought it was just the same, like Melkor and Ungoliant are going to be in it, and Tom and Goldberry are going to be in it, and they're going to be played by the same actors, but they're not, they're not this necessarily meant to be the same. Um, but you're telling me something different, which is crazy. Yes, yeah, so number 19, I have it highlighted in the stream. It's, it literally says the pair and I could be misinterpreting this, but it says the pair as Bombadil and Goldberry are serving out punishment from Mandos per a long held fan theory. So it's maybe not directly correlating, but they're saying they're played by the same people, but then for some reason, Bombadil and Goldberry are serving out a punishment from Mandos, which is being the master of the wood and singing jolly songs and having a beautiful wife and picking lilies. Like, that doesn't sound like a punishment to me. No, no, I don't. I think people, are, well, one, that's garbage. Uh, I think people are <laughs> um, doing things that Tolkien, you know, I think when you, whenever you do anything with Tom Bombadil, you really have to be careful because yes. that was a special character to Tolkien. You know, it was designed off of, I'm sure you know, the, the toy that he got for his son and it was, very important to him and he told those he came up with those little nursery rhymes to say to his sons at night before he put them to bed and i think the character was so special to him that it started outside of middle earth and then he found a way to work it in so Mm. any theory that you have has to work that in and i certainly don't believe that he is an origin of evil i did a i did a podcast episode on tom bombadil if if anyone in the chat is interested in watching where I, I think I, I think I did listen to that one. I've listened to a lot of them. I'll, I, I, if I'm being straight up, I love your podcast. I wish it came out more frequently. Oh, I obviously Sam and <laughs> so, I know how so I. <laughs> <laughs> exactly Sam and I know exactly how hard it is just to like actually be able to have the time and the brain power to do that, especially the four month old. Um, well, I, I really appreciate you listening to it, man. I think yeah. it's, um, yeah, I was kind of, uh, 
I was struck by seeing that those two were connected at all because I actually, uh, I think Ngoliant and Tom Bombadil are um, a great foil for one another. I think that they're mm. the polar opposites as far as uh, beings that kind of exist outside of the traditional spiritual hierarchy of Middle Earth, but they're, sure. they're still spirits representing specific things. You know, the Ngoliant is sort of the... Um, uh, the chaos and the um, the discord of Melkor, uh, the discord and the harmony out of harmony that is mm. Ungoliant, and then Tom Bombadil I think is a representation of the song of Iluvatar sung within harmony. Um, so I, I, I think that, and, I, and I've used this, I've talked about this on Twitter. I think that they're they're super important to compare to one another and use as kind of foils. So to see them in the same breath as potentially being the same character, that's really disheartening. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've been rereading the, the fellowship allowed to Ariel every night. She falls right asleep. It's great. <laughs> but I uh, just finished the barrow downs and uh, Tom Bombadil, he's, he's, he's a, a very intriguing character. There is, yeah, exactly. But he's he has got this like kind of inquisitiveness about him or curiosity about him that you're like, yeah, I think he's good. I think so. Um, and he obviously, you know, saves the hobbits on multiple occasions and really seemingly only seems to care about like his wife and his animals and his his land. But there is a part of you that just kind of like, OK, what? OK, wh- wh- who are you? Like, what do you get this power from or lack thereof? Um, you know, what is, what is driving your, your abilities here? But yeah, to think that you you just look at his actions and the way that he speaks and the hospitality that he has for the, for the hobbits. But even then, like even in his house, he says he'd no nightly noises, but then all the hobbits have these crazy dreams, except for Sam. He sleeps right through it. Like a log doesn't have any (laughs) issues, but all the other hobbits are like having these nightmares of horrible things happening while they're sleeping in his house. But he's like, no, he no nightly noises. It's fine. But there's still that kind of uh, maybe it's just spiritual warfare and and in kind of a bigger in a bigger way. But as I was reading that, knowing uh, again with these rumors in mind, just kind of opening my mind a little bit, like, well, okay, is there is even is there even any possibility that he could be Melkor? And it was just like, I mean, there's some there's some strangeness to him, sure, but no, I don't yeah. I don't see yeah. again, like you said, an origin of evil. No, nah, nah, not not our merry fellow. Yeah, I think I mean, I, I I've made this point. On my podcast, I think when you think about his reaction to the ring, and here's my argument of him being creation in perfect harmony, according to Iluvatar's will. Since he's a representation of nature, it's like he doesn't care about the one ring any more than a rock or mm-hmm. a blade a blade of grass would care for the one ring. Um, yeah. And that's kind of my, always been my approach to to that to explaining why he wouldn't have any temptation whereas someone like Galadriel or Gandalf uh, or Saruman Saruman and Gandalf are better examples because they're you know Maya um, where they would mm-hmm. absolutely yeah that's interesting just a quick answer not rings of power related what do you think Tom Bombadil is Sam and I have talked about this. Is he the music embodied kind of like what you're describing? Is he Sam? Actually, I, I think he read this somewhere, but um, he said that there's a theory that Tom Bombadil is actually Tolkien signing his artwork almost as if 
you know, he's an artist sig- signing, you know, the bottom of, of the picture. And that's, and Tom Bombadil is Tolkien himself in the image or in the story kind of as his own little signature, which I think is a fun one. I don't know, but what are your thoughts on like who he actually is? Do you think he yeah, is was, just the music? It was your first one. Yeah. The, I think that he is the, the embodiment of, of the music and it's perfect um, and it, in it's perfect harmony, but I think it's, I think it's deeper than just that. You know, I think to say it's just the music, it's almost like you're missing a part mm-hmm. of it. You know, it's, it's much more, it's, it's the music, it's nature, it's creation. It's, it's everything in, in perfect balance mm-hmm. um, and, and order according to Iluvatar. And, um, you know, Tolkien's made comments like uh, as far as addressing the self insert, um, he said in a letter, I can't remember which one it is off the top of my head, but he did say in a letter that he didn't have any specific self inserts. Mm. Um, and then as far as him being a Luvatar, I think he also said in another letter, which I can't, I'm sorry, I wish I could. That's okay. It's That's terrible okay. to offer sources and not be able to tell you where it's. Found. We don't have them all memorized either. <laughs> yeah. In another letter, uh, I think he, he did say that um, Iluvatar had not entered the world bodily, mm. at least in his story, which is funny because if you read the, the Athrobeth, you know, the um, uh, Andreth basically alludes to um, something that sounds a lot like Christ. Um, but anyway, that's, that's another, that's, that's a whole nother thing that we could talk about. Sure. Um, so yeah, I think that I, I feel, I feel pretty good about that, but it's also just something that's truly important. It's a, it's a character that was, that Tolkien, I think loved passionately, passionately on behalf of his children. Um, and he really wanted to find a way to get it into the story. And I think that, um, it was never his intent for people to dissect it as hard as the, as we do. And yeah. I used to be one yeah. of those people that obsessed over it. I was like, I need yeah. to, I need to find I need to figure out exactly what this is. And, you know, that actually wasn't his intention. And he liked, I think he liked that people, that that frustrated people. I, I would agree. <laughs> I think he was a little bit of a, a troll like that. Gentlemen, <laughs> uh, my wife beckons. I, yes, uh, no, yes. this was a good stopping same, point. Same. I was just about to say that. Is there, uh, before Sam takes us out with our, our fantastic, you know, exit to the podcast here, is there anything else you want to, touch on anything you want to say we've i mean from my perspective we've loved having you on i, I know i've interacted with you here and there on twitter Boy, um, Seth, Sam, i want to say it's a blast before you know all i want to say before i jump off i just uh um i've really enjoyed you guys having me on i would love to come back on i i like uh i like especially you know guys my age you know kind of in the same period of, of sure. life um i i, I really appreciate you guys talking to me and and putting up with me over for the past hour no it's our pleasure uh you guys, make are, sure... you guys are really cool <laughs> well thank you oh, wow that's reciprocal. we were both homeschooled so that's very surprising to hear <laughs> wow that's that's an accomplishment <laughs> it no. is indeed i have a make lot sure of homeschooled you're... friends i wasn't homeschooled but i respect it fair enough fair. make sure you give your wife uh, a big thank you from us for letting us steal you away for the last hour and a half so oh. I will, especially uh, since I, I said we'd probably be done around nine thirty. So, oh. an <laughs> apology as well as a thank yeah, you from I'm gonna, us. I'm then. gonna, I'm gonna get cooked, but we're good. <laughs> we ball. <laughs> All right, Sam. Same. Why don't you take us out? Same. 
Yeah, this is the part where Gondor calls for aid to say what you were saying earlier. We are breaking the halls of Metaseldom. We're shouting, Gondor calls for aid. Will you listeners, watchers, Rohan, answer by lighting a beacon of your own? Uh, like us on YouTube. Send us a, a message to our, our email, wekpodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to all the different places where you have podcasts. Please leave us a review, especially now that we got some awesome guests on the, on the podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, the things, the wonderful brilliance that they brought to do this little fun podcast here um but yeah we thank you so much for stepping out on the road with us uh, but until next time we bid you all a very fond farewell <laughs>